Welcome to Any Honey and the Newt. talk about culture and identity and what's really interesting about this is we're not talking about it or at least we're not going to start talking about this at a large scale this topic was actually introduced through an article about basketball we had a philosophical basketball article and i love it thank you for sharing it with me anthony finally <laughs> i feel like it's been coming at all angles this week like i sent yeah. you that article and then barkley talked about it like three days later and i was like what is happening in the world any honey in the new is permeating the membrane of the cosmic. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we're not taking from others. We're, we're the cause, right? We're the cause. Um, yeah. So the article was by Jack Huntley, and I don't have the title of the article, but it was basically about how the arrival of uh, Coach Thibodeau to the Knicks has instilled something that the Knicks have not had for a long time, which is an identity. And he said this was on the first step on a pathway to culture. And that's an intriguing statement. But he goes further than that. In one of the paragraphs, he actually defines what he means by those terms, right? He says, the identity is the who we are, and the culture is how we do things. So I just want to start with his kind of premise and, and definitions and see what you think about those. Identity is who we are, and culture is how we do things. Um, I guess I agree with that for the most part. I think... Um... <clears throat> He's kind of mixing culture and normativity. And uh, you would have a lot more to say about that because I'm still very much learning this stuff from you. Um, but at least the way I put things together, right? Identity is, I would say it's also not just who we are, but how we interact with the world around us, right? Because there's like what we, th we've talked about this a lot, is like what we think we are, what others think we are, what we actually do. Um, and what others observe that we actually do. And so there's like all of these other meta layers to that. Does this sound like the you know, path that we can latch onto? Yeah. I, uh, when you sent me the article, I read the byline and like immediately put a pause on it. Because I was like, wait, wait, wait. I want to think about what I think about these terms before I get influenced by his article. <clears throat> and uh, so when I thought about the terms, I came up with examples before I came up with definitions. For identity... I was thinking about a defensive-minded team or transition-oriented offense, or probably for me, the most famous example is the grit and grind Grizzlies, right? Like they, they had a nickname and it was, uh, it identified their style of play. Whereas with a culture, I think of things like the heat conditioning, right? The heat culture in Miami uh, of having to be in a certain shape and, and perform at a certain conditioning level, or this idea that this team is in rebuilding. And so we're fostering youth growth. Or this is a championship or bust year for this team, right? These are kind of culture setting tones for me. So I thought, is that a strict line between these examples? Like, am I just used to using identity for one and culture for the other? Or is there kind of a distinct conceptual um, sphere for each of these? Yeah, and I guess I went into the article thinking two things. One, uh, this dude's definitely wrong, and I'm going to call him out on it. Because I actually went onto the article to read it to leave a comment. And I was like, I think halfway through, the author sort of started to change his definition of each of them. 
Um, but then also kind of like what you were saying, I was separating out in my head individual identity and throwing team identity into team culture. Um, and I was kind of combining those two things and I would agree with what you said, but to me, all of those things that you listed, those are like, because they're a team identity, they were also like team culture. Yeah. So I was having a hard time figuring out what the difference was. I thought maybe culture was on the, uh, like a, a moment in time kind of capture. Uh, I'm sorry. Identity was like the moment in time capturing culture was like the bigger temporal process of, of identity through time. Uh, so that was one way of relating the two concepts. But as I read his article, I think I can buy into the who we are versus how we do things and see them as kind of co-emerging, right? You you gain an identity as you develop a culture. And if you have an identity that you're aiming towards, that's going to inform what culture you pursue. So I'm I'm okay with kind of drawing this loose distinction and seeing them as mutually benefiting. I think he was taking it a little bit more sequentially. Like mm -hmm. first you have to have an identity and then you can have a culture. I'm not really on board with that, but but if we understand the terms in his in his statement of them, I, I think we can see them as working together for sure. Yeah. And the one thing that I would add to that whole um I don't think I would call it a debate, but that whole conversation is that um you can't get to the team identity or team culture without incorporating or understanding your individual identities at the same time, mm. right? To me, this is what separated um, the Spurs and Miami, right? Who have had this, you know, long-term culture uh, with individual team identities interspersed in that culture and uh, teams like the Knicks and I'll throw the Pistons in there because they've been bad for a while. Um, the Suns who can't quite figure it out, right? They have, Number four in the West, is that right? Not anymore. They're like 500 or just below 500 now. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I did my research today. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, like teams like the Knicks, which I talk about all the time. I'm sick of it. Uh, gag. <laughs> um, they've never quite figured it out because they have this idea that, like, we'll, we'll set this culture and the individuals will fall in line versus like um you know when they do badly it's the the culture it's not that it clashed right it never took hold within the individual identity complexes and um <clears throat> i think the difference with this season because this article was actually written about the knicks is that uh tom thibodeau has this like team identity approach right we are going to play defense and he worked with the individuals to cultivate their individual identities to mesh with that. So they're all playing kind of to their strengths uh, within this team identity role. And I think um, if the Knicks changed course, it would be because he changed the team identity to mesh better with the individual identities. But there's still no, just to, I guess, further add to your definition and further clarify, there's still no team culture yet with the Knicks because they don't know what they are. Interesting. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack there, right? There, There's the relationship between culture and identity that we've touched on. There's the relationship that you were just talking about between individual identity and team identity or individual practices and team culture. And then uh, there's something about how um, 
who is the authority or where does the identity come from, right? So in this particular instance, Tom Thibodeau is a very strong voice that is kind of, he has a reputation and is willful. So you can almost see him as an authoritarian. We are going to have this identity and you're going to be on board or you're not, right? And so organizations can take that kind of top-down approach. Or something like what I think happened in Memphis uh, was they had this player, Zach Randolph, and he can really only play one way. He's really good at that one way, right? Like really, really good. Right. But but you can't use him any other way. And so they had to build a team around that kind of recognition of style and play. And as a result, you get Mark Gasol, who can also play compatible with that kind of tough, big paint kind of play. And then you get players that stretch the floor so that you can allow kind of a slow half court offense. Like, I feel like that almost became play centric rather than authoritarian, right? It was just a reaction to the way we play. Yeah. I really like that introduction of authority into the conversation. And there is so much on that thread. I'm going to like, just fight every urge I have, push that to the side and uh, maybe we can talk you about. You want to that. talk about cult leaders and Tom Thibodeau? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's not just that. Uh, in my, I'll just go into this one, hopefully very brief uh, uh, distinguisher about this. Um, in my communicating science class the past two weeks, um, I introduced this concept of being an expert versus being an authority as mm. not necessarily um, mutually ex- inclusive, right? Like. Because they're scientists, they think that they are authorities. But in fact, um, when you are outside of your expert circle, you are no longer an authority, right? You have to cultivate that authority. And so I think uh, going back to the NBA, there are coaches who do that really well and have success with it. And there are coaches who um, use their authority in other ways. Right. But it's maybe for the players, like they still perceive this person, this coach as an authority, um, but they have a different sort of structure and relationship and they use that authority in different ways. And I think in teams that are not as successful, that authority is not upheld. I think of like almost all Mm -hmm. the failed teams, right? There's always some case of player rebellion or um, you hear the conversations of the coach just doesn't have the ear of the players. There's always something going on in that coach player dynamic, which prevents that identity aspect from playing a role. And then uh, you were talking about Zach Randolph. And to me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, to me that argument uh, was really kind of reaffirming the, the, the individual identity leads to the team identity because they... Like they saw that Zach Randolph, right, was he could only play this one way. And when they when he was in other systems where he played in different ways, it didn't work out. But when it worked within a system that did play his way, it worked to great benefit. And so uh, a lot of teams will have this mentality. This is actually the tangent that I wanted to go down. Um, They have this mentality of building around a player or two, right, because... Mm -hmm if you have your superstar and you can mold your team concept, your team identity around that superstar, um, then hopefully, and maybe that's the authority figure in that concept. Now I've spoken for too long. So (laughs) no, 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 that that's interesting. I, uh, I wanted to go in one direction, but I feel like I have to address this question because 
I think that that often happens. I don't want to deny that what you've said is the case a lot of the times. I don't like the idea of making it like the path or the essential kind of thing. And part of it is I think of teams like well, Golden State before they got big, right? Before we knew the Splash Brothers. Or I think of Orlando Magic, who don't really have a superstar. They've got all-stars, but only because like somebody has to score the points and get the rebounds. Um, but really, there's a team concept there. And I think they've had enough different culture, uh, coaches to say that it's not a coach authority that's defining the, the culture and identity there. I feel like they've drafted length. They've had athleticism, but not a lot of skill. Sorry, but uh, like extreme talent. Uh, so they've had to like get a team concept of of moving the ball and using defense to to succeed. And they've been fringe playoff team despite having no real significant stars. And and so there, I want to kind of say there's an identity that's forming or a culture that is helped by a coach, but is not defined by an authority like a coach. Yeah, and uh, I didn't mean to say that. Every team tries to find that superstar. Every team tries to find that authority. I think authorities can emerge and it doesn't necessarily Mm. have to be the coach. It comes from strong players or strong GM um, or even groupthink can be an authority. Um, And uh, something that you said, I really wanted to sing the praises of. First, congratulations for reeling me in. And so, you know, you kind of talked about these different ways that it happens. And I think maybe you can provide some distinction on um, culture, uh, identity, and normativity. Because um, maybe it's a narrative or maybe it's a norm that at least the way it's captured either in the media or, you know, in player interviews, coaches interviews, um, even if teams don't have the philosophy of building around one person or cultivating an authority, they still try and emulate that approach. And they say it all the time in interviews. Um, and the media perpetuates this idea all the time. So to me, it sounds like it's a norm of like the NBA, Right. It's like there's only this one way and everybody's so ingrained in that way of thinking that you can see um, you can see successful emergences of other ideas, um, but still everything kind of eventually settles back to this one pathway It's like why um, the Lakers tried so hard to get LeBron. Right. And then. Like then they brought in Anthony Davis and why the Nets went after Kyrie and and KD, right? And then they brought in Harden because they were still mm-hmm. like, well, we got to build the team around like one or two people. We can't just like, we can't just have this like ragtag squad of six or eight great players who are just, you know, pulling it together and could get us to the second round. Only one player can get us to the finals. Yeah, you're laying out a whole lot of stuff for me to pick on the nets about. But um, yeah, no, I I think that's interesting and right. Huntley does talk about how sometimes these uh, norms or values get used as platitudes. And so people say they value X, Y, and Z, defense, hard work, showing up, uh, hard play, being aggressive. Like these are phrases that get thrown around for every team, right? And players say them in interviews all the time. And he said, there's a difference between saying it and being it slash doing it. And, and the teams that actually develop an identity and a culture 
are doing it, putting it in practice and putting in the hard work to make it possible to put it into practice. They're not just saying the words that will make the fans and the coach happy. Um, and so it, it is more than just telling a narrative, right? But the narrative, we talked before about how sometimes you can contribute to your own narrative, but a lot of times, a lot of it's written by or spoken by other people about you. And there's kind of this interaction between your contributions and their interpretations. Uh, and I feel like culture and identity has something like this, where there's media narratives around certain players and their strengths and weaknesses, and maybe a team uh, embraces that and works around that kind of story, or maybe they reject it. Like the whole Jimmy Butler can't be a leader, and the Heat were like, "Oh yeah, he can. Watch, watch. We're gonna make it. We're gonna show that he can, right?" And they kind of galvanized around, "We are a team. We are a unit." And Jimmy Butler, Butler is our leader. So I don't know. There's interesting things there that is kind of dynamic. I don't, I don't want to like spell out and I don't think you were saying this, but I don't want to say that there's one way, one path towards an identity and a culture. Right. And that's kind of why I threw in the NBA identity or culture or norms into that, because um, there are kind of these like meta rules that people are cultivated into believing and perpetuating. I mean, this is why we have like the class structures that we have or social oppression um, and, uh, so I only threw that in there just to mention that, like, even if it's something that nobody actually believes in or it's force fed a narrative, it still does happen and it might still, um, affect the way that these, these ideas of team identity and culture exist. Uh, one thing that I wanted to ask you actually, <clears throat> now that we're on this is how does the relationships of the players and the coaching staff and all that stuff play into these concepts of identity, even though we like to keep them separate? No, that is a great <laughs> question. <laughs> it's, I mean, anytime you try to give an analysis of something so complex, such as uh, a set of social relations among a bunch of diverse and complex individuals, there's not going to be an easy summary that everybody's going to agree with. Um, I, I will give... An example that I was going to talk about anyway and relate it to this question, and that's Greg Popovich and the Spurs, right? We think about him as one of the greatest coaches of all times, and while they had the big three of Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili, we kind of thought them as as it being Popovich's system, right? And and the identity and the culture was seen as an authoritative kind of nature, but as those players got older and, and um, declined or or new players were coming into the system, what we saw was a lot of flexibility in Popovich. He did demand hard work and knowing your role, right? Learn the fundamentals, do what you're told to do, and everybody's accountable. Those are cultural norms for the Spurs that you had to buy into or you weren't going to be there very long. But the identity of the team, much more flexible, right? As Kawhi became kind of emerged as this wing leader that could be a defensive and offensive player, as he left and we had to, they had to like adjust to the fact that they didn't have as much three-point shooting, uh, right? They, they brought in some, some other talents, DeMar DeRozan and, and some length that allowed them to play a little bit slower half court. And so I feel like Popovich has always been smart enough to recognize what pieces he has, to know what he wants to have come into the organization, but also to kind of grow in a back and forth. He's not dictating that the players have to adjust to his system, but neither does he just kowtow to 
to stars and what they want to do and what roles they want to play. Like there's this back and forth between this is what's effective and it's not effective uh, unless I take into account what what you can do. And, and so to your, your question about how does player-player relations, player-coach relations, player-organization relations all factor into this, it's a complex web and you have to be sensitive to all of those relationships or the culture and identity is either not going to work as a total or particular individuals aren't going to work in that identity and they're going to have to be shipped out. Right. I think uh, as you started talking there, I sort of got got the sense like, oh, maybe Kawhi didn't buy into any of that and that's why he wanted to get traded. And it really didn't have to do with like, you know, being a star on his own. He just didn't agree with the whole like fit in. He wanted to be the culture. Mm. Which it certainly, certainly started to seem that that's exactly the path that he wanted. Yeah, Kawhi's a enigmatic figure. I mean, he particularly doesn't like to talk to the media. Uh, we know that his, I think it's his uncle, has made a lot of statements that he sometimes distances himself from, sometimes embraces. So it's, it, Kawhi's a tough read for me, so I'm not going to speculate why, if he wanted out and why, but it certainly, you can tell that narrative and be convincing, I think. I think I just was. <laughs> <laughs> That was just the little uh, don't sue us kind of (laughs) disclaimer. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just an idiot who's saying this stuff for entertainment purposes. Yeah, so what are the relationships and how do they play together? Very complex. There's no easy answer, but everybody can contribute and it works better when everybody is contributing to that kind of definition of the team culture. Yeah, and I think I'll just... um... I'll kind of wrap up that thought by saying we typically try to put these into discrete bins. And I think that doesn't do any of these ideas justice because as, you know, as we talk more, not just about love and relationships and identity and culture, we've talked about narrative, all these other concepts that we've talked about have roles and influences in these conversations. And like you talked about, it's a very complex web. And one thing that I'll add to that is like, especially with team structures or relationships in each of our lives, right? When something disrupts the the web, things become more tenuous, they become more fragile and you kind of mm-hmm. have to work around it. And if you aren't at least in tune to any of those disruptions, that's when things can start to fall apart. That's good. That's good. I, as a philosophy, uh, as someone with a philosophy background, like conceptual clarity is extremely important to me. What exactly are we talking about? What's the limits of what we're talking about? But as someone influenced by uh, deconstruction and hermeneutics, I kind of feel like those those limits, conceptual limits, are permeable, and like there there is an ability to get some clarity, but we can never get fully determinate on these concepts because they do affect and influence each other. So I just kind of want to give a peek to our audience that we're going to run into this a lot where we try to define a term and then, and then show how complicated it actually is. Right. I think uh, (laughs) going down that thread, that was essentially why we started this podcast series because we'd have these conversations and we'd start like, this is, this is the box that everything fits into. And then (laughs) we're like, up against the edge of the box and we're actually through the box and we realize like, Oh, uh, that didn't work out at all. 
how did this door get here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think that's uh, important to just kind of bring our audience into. We're not trying to assert like the definition of these terms as much as explore the conceptual space that we use all the time, but isn't very clear. And hopefully we can all engage in this conversation and, and uh, start seeing some new aspects of it.